listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, episode 175. Today, men's performance coach Grant Parr sits down with MAD training owner John Murray to talk about the mind and body. John shares his knowledge from 35 years of experience and his long trajectory of working with multiple types of athletes. If you want to know more about how he connects the mind and body to get to your peak performance state, then this is a must-listen episode. ready to raise your game? 2021 is the year to increase your performance on and off the field. The Athlete's Edge Journal was designed to cultivate self-confidence and mental resilience through the power of sports psychology. Whether you are a professional athlete, a former college athlete, or have aspirations of greatness in the future, this journal is for you. Visit winthementalgame.com and use the promo code GRANTPAR20 to receive a 20% discount at checkout. Act now to take your mental game to the next level. What if you could rapidly accelerate your team's performance and skill acquisition just minutes before practice or game? NeuroTrainer triggers high-performance states with virtual reality brain training that can be deployed in the gym or at home. In just eight minutes, your team will be more focused and ready for whatever you or the game throws at them. Visit NeuroTrainer.com to schedule your demo and get your team locked in. Hey, John, how are you? I'm good, Jay. How are you, my man? I'm doing good, man. Like, I know this is going to be an incredible episode. We're going to be hitting the ball back and forth. Talking about, you know, mind and body, like how we talk about that. We hear that all the time in sports, but truly you spent 35 years of your career doing a lot of work on connecting mind and body with athletes, but also you've gone through a a long trajectory of your career where you've worked with all different kinds of athletes. So we're going to talk a little bit about today's athlete as well. So, man, I can't wait to to hit it up with you today on the show. Oh, good, man. Hey, no, just uh, thank you for having me. This This is a subject near and dear to my heart. So. Uh, thank you very much for having me. And thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing this, man. That's key. You so, bet, man. You bet. All right, man, let's get into it. Let's go. Let's, let's get into mental toughness, man, because you you teach this stuff every day, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all this stuff. So when you think about mental toughness, what does that mean to you? Uh, I don't like the term. I think it's a soft term, but I understand it. You got to talk about it. And I think to me, it's always something that if you're talking about it, you're really not about it. Um, I think the, the most difficult thing for humans to, to be is discipline. And I come from, a, I'm going to refer to this a lot in this. I also do in my work. I come from a, a, a martial arts background and I've been in martial arts almost for 40 years now, growing, growing. And the toughest, scariest, nastiest people with the nicest, quietest people you'd never, ever would guess it, ever. Um, Said, but they were mentally tough beyond belief. So if, if we answer that question, it means doing the little things every day that no one will have to remind you about. It's like quiet, poised discipline from hydrate. You see your hydrating to hydrating to taking care of your business. In martial arts, shall we say, once you attain a black belt level, you, you know, the real arts, you shouldn't think yourself as a master. You should keep growing and, you know, stop honing your skills until you leave this planet. So every day that the, the discipline, you know, there's even guys who teach us, you know, do stuff before. As soon as you open your eyes in bed, you're going over stuff in your mind before your feet touch the ground. And if you touch the ground, you become one with the earth and you be with the earth. That's that type of discipline. Now, I'm not there yet, but it's something to work for. So probably the overt mental toughness and the hoorah stuff, that's kind of 
artificial and phony, I think about the quiet, poised, everyday discipline. You know, people going to work, handling business, handling the business. I mean, that's 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 mental toughness. That makes sense. You know, the, the hurrah stuff, that's yeah. that's that's bluff. The poised totally. ones. Exactly. And then and then because I, I hear it too, because obviously I'm in the field and near the you know, the three steps to mental toughness and all these different ways, you know, and I, I think at the end of the day, when you look at it, I always say this, do all the hard work consistently in the dark so you can shine it in the light. So when it's time, like when it's an adverse situation, when shit gets really tough, um, if it's to end of the game, it's a tie game, like how are you in that moment? Well, because you've trained for that moment, done all those reps in the, in the dark to be mentally tough. And, and there's so much more to it, but you know, there, there is all these glitzy and cool little like sayings on mental toughness, but yeah, 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 yeah. you know, it's, it sounds good, but uh, you know, a little kid has to take a bus across, you know, a tough city to get to, to get to school. That's mentally tough. Little one. The mom has got to get the kids to school and hustle the job and that, you know, now especially with COVID out there, that's mentally tough to me. As I've gotten older in this industry, sports, that's not real pressure. I mean, we, we build too much about pressure about sports. It's not life and death. It's not food on the table. It's not a rent payment. You know, it's not. I think we've come at this stage in my life, look back, and we've made too much of pressure for athletes and sports. It's a sport. It's to enjoy it. It's meant to have fun. Do your best. Real pressure, man, I ain't real pressure, man. That's right. not real pressure. You know, we, we, we put too much around these poor athletes in that regard. I mean, I didn't pick a, a poor Simone Biles and just crumble. Just a stud. I mean, she didn't make she she was doing stuff that they said you can't do that so yeah we're gonna give you takeaway points like you can't do it but she can man so i just my heart breaks for someone like that because like you know there's not real pressure but to make it into her world it's it is the pressure so exactly. you know i just read the day of the paper i don't fall sports like i used to you know it kind of seemed like enough behind the black the curtain where i don't you know it's kind of turned me off a lot but the fact she had the guts to get back on and do you know Get, get the bronze medal and stand there when everyone in the world knows that's a gold medal standard. And I tip my hat to her for even attempting it. So now that's to me is mental toughness. She, totally. and she's there in a sense for her teammates. She didn't quit on her team. She didn't fly home. She didn't bow out thing. One of the little girls stood, stood there, took it, stayed with the team and then stepped on there just to kind of for herself. So I, that, that's toughness to me. So, yeah, I love that you brought that up because not only did she, there was, there was a poise to her when she was actually delivering the message. Like she, you know, she wasn't crying about it. She, but she, you could tell, like she, she was good with it, even though it probably brought on more pressure, more things she had to deal with. But that moment I saw, I'm like, wow, she's handling that pretty well. She's delivering the message pretty well. And then you see her in every event, she's sitting there with her team, cheering everyone on. What a champ. Yeah. Yeah. I was shocked. I was a champ. Totally. And in this industry where we work with, you know, a lot of the mind with athletes in our own particular uh, fashion. I mean, I, I just feel like the system failed her. How, how do you fail a little more? She's an absolute stud. She might be the baddest athlete that known the man on the planet right now. And the system failed her. It just kind of makes me cringe. Just come on, man. We got to do better than that. We have to. We do. You know what? Funny. There's a funny. I think you've probably seen this or on uh, like Twitter. There was a lot of people, obviously, they have a thought on it, right? They have all these commentaries out there. And so many people were like, if I was Simone, and so people would write back, you'll never be Simone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you'll on, never, man. right? Yeah. And 
I yeah. think I heard one person, you know, and we could definitely like have a show just talking an episode based off all of this and the pressure expectations. But one commentator on some sports network said something really to me was like, okay, it makes kind of sense. She's like, if an athlete comes out and says, I have mental health, okay, it's none of our business. It's none of our business what that is. Now, we want to make it our business because she's been, you know, she's the GOAT. She's, you know, the media's made her all these things. So we need to know, like, what is it? We don't need to know. It's, it's, it's her business. The fact that she shared it with us, she could have said, like, hey, she pulled a hamstring and she was out. And then we would have said, oh, well, yeah, she had a hamstring pull. Even but, that, that's business from an ankle to a hamstring strain to a shoulder none of your business quite frankly you're yeah. only business when you turn on the tv you watch you watch the athletes do their things and you can bet on it you can watch it cheer for it boo it whatever you want other than that it's not your business you can choose right. not to watch it by that's that's how you make your choice but yeah you know i, I don't find the social media stuff i don't do man i don't none of that i just think it just lost a lot of its soul so it's uh, I, I did not see that and i don't watch it so i can't say i'm aware of it. if i see nothing being around yeah, that's a shame. I mean, that's that, but that's a fan. Fans is sort of a fanatic, and you're entitled to your opinion, how long yeah. it may be, but you're entitled to that. And you know, we used to say we get you know on the road, and, you know, in certain games, and fans of Brewers would just say, "Thanks for coming," because <laughs> they're exactly. the ones that us to love us. You just pay tickets to watch the game, man, and that pays the bills. So, thanks for coming. The <laughs> small baby, you keep rocking it. Thanks for coming. Tweet all you want. Totally. I just keep on watching. You know, so. Yeah, man, that's that's one thing I learned a long time ago being an athlete that I, I learned this this whole idea of being right with yourself. So no matter because you're going to fail, you're going to whatever how you look at failure, but you're, you're going to have mistakes. You're not going to meet expectations. Shit's going to happen. But you're also going to have other people who are going to commentate on it as well. So when you're right with yourself, so when you actually have a poor game or poor games or a poor month and someone says something or some kind of reporter says something. The best way to actually to combat that so you can diffuse it and then you can keep on staying focused and staying in your lane. It's just saying, thanks for sharing. That's it. Someone says something like, hey, man, you, you're in a slump. Thanks for sharing, man. I'm good. And But you, you're not even plugged into it. Like, you just stay in your lane, man. Yeah, you just got to keep rolling. I mean, I, uh, about a year and a half ago, I started doing a version of this with my, with my company, right? And this is something I, I had disdain for. I said, I just want to go out and do the work. But with COVID, we couldn't. And then Zoom was the only medium you had to communicate. So we're doing this. And yeah. first guy I talked with was a gentleman named Todd Tissue. He's a big wave surfer. And we had worked with Todd, myself, and my head coach of my group, uh, Eric Bringus. And we had worked with Todd in another location um, on his rehab program. He had shattered his right arm, his whole arm and wrist destroyed. And the time we worked with Dr. Arting and his physical rehab program, and Doc was, was a consulting orthopedist, and he had poor Todd had been all over the place trying to figure this out. He's a big wave surfer. For those listeners don't know, those are massive house-sized waves. They're all over the world, but uh, California, Northern California especially, especially during the winter, Mavericks, you'll hear that, you know, advertised. Todd, he was one of the first ever out in that water. So these guys are different levels of water. These are like Simone Biles of the ocean. But his point being, yeah, you're in the middle of a water, and I'm a surfer, but I'm not. I'm, I stink at it now. I'm kind of now. I call myself a wave flopper, if you will. I kind of get out and I body surf, and just get waves kind of kill me. You know, the big waves I can't handle. But the point right. being, there you can't have, you cannot because you are dead, or you someone else is dead. So I, in that situation where people are ridiculing athletes, you just kind of be with them. You know, 
everyone likes to quote Bruce now, you know, but be like water. But that's really, man, it's just like you don't get smashed, but you can't like be rigid with it. You got to go with it. And that's what the martial arts has always taught us, you know. You get hit or grab, you kind of be with it. And Simone was great. Like you said, you kind of say, man, thanks for the tip. You be with it and keep, you just keep falling, man. You don't let it stop you. It'll kill you. Totally. It'll run away and slowly kind of kill your inside because it gets to here. So you just got to yeah. flow with it, man. For sure, man. So well, speaking of mental toughness, now I know you've got years of in this business. And so we're going to kind of get into you in a second here. So sure. when it comes to mental sure. mental toughness, like can, can you reflect on your whole career? Like, and I know there's tons of these moments for you. What's that one moment in your career where you had to be mentally tough, where you had to dig in your heels, shit got tough, um, whatever it was, um, working with faculty, working for a team, like what was it that you had to like dig your, your heels in and push through? I mean, there's many of them. I'm not sure. Um, probably uh, early in my career, I was consult. I was working as an assistant strength coach and a massage therapist. I got trained early. I went and got certified in massage because I, I just wanted to find as many ways I could help athletes heal their bodies and minds. So, and I worked in physical therapy as well. So, as a physical therapy assistant, so there's, I realized the importance of massage. So, I was working at the time. I was just starting as a middle of grad school. At John F. Kennedy University, good old JFK, with Gail Sultan, yeah. the team. Thank you, Gail. Uh, and Betty Wentz and the whole crew took care of Chamber many, many years ago. Um, and I was, uh, the Canadian Football League had expanded into the Americas, the United States, and one of their lo- locales was Sacramento. So I was intern, I was in, I'd start off as an intern, got hired on as a strength coach assistant with Keith Irwin, my, a mentor of mine, who was the head strength coach, one of the best human beings in the world. They come, Keith. And his wife, Susie, took great care of me, took me under their wings, I mean, fed me, housed me, he taught me this industry, how to deal with people. And he, he was just a sweetheart of a man, but he was third degree uh, Taekwondo black belt that he got in Korea when he was in the United States Marines during war. This guy, he was Keith, he would never, he, like my, he's one of the guys to tell you early on in our previous conversation, quiet, yeah. beautiful, sweet man, but you would not deny that. And don't even think he'd step out of that line. Anyway, so I'm on the staff, it's training camp, it's their second season. We're out in the middle of Yuba City. It's hot. There's no water in the pool. And that year, Yuba oh, City is voted the worst city in the world. I go, oh, what are we doing here? 120 football players. Everyone wants to be in the NFL. Uh, and we're not, it was kind of a jump, a jump off point for all of us, coaching staff on down to us young coaches. And it was in between, walk, we're walking from the lunch lunchroom to a meeting room. I'm walking there. Um, and I'm on the ground before walking in, we're stretching one of our players. And I'm on the ground, I'm kneeling, such as hamstring, he was cramping, so he hide it. I'm cramping a big old offensive lineman. And one of the uh, running backs is a talented dude, was running around, he's talking, running his mouth, and takes a big old beetle, or it might have been a cockroach, and shuts it down my shirt. So the martial artist wanted me wanted to flip, because I want to go and rip this guy apart. And it was a testing point, right? Here's a young dude, you know, a young dude on there. And the, the test was just... I could flip my role and lose it, become a guy. And, be, and guys knew enough about my background that I trained a lot of these guys in the offseason, so they knew enough. And so that's the one guy you don't even – I wasn't anywhere near, near Keith, but I could handle myself enough. And, be, and so they knew that. I said, hey, hey, man, so-and-so, I would not do that. So my point, the reason was mental toughness because I was a young coach. I was being challenged. I was being tested. And my, immediately I wanted to get physical. And, you know, yeah. it might have been – but I would have I would have uh, been a sloppy process. I might have taken a few months, but I would have made my point. And, uh, well, he wouldn't have played that day or ever again. And that's where my mind was going right now. So I had to like somehow breathe it, calm it down and say, hey, man, that's not going to work. And guy stepped in, appreciated it. And he ended up being a guy I loved working with. He was great. But as a young coach, you're going to be, I was challenged. 
because he knew about my mind background all this stuff. He just was challenging me. And he was just messing around. A young guy messing around during the you know the yeah. tedium of training. Yeah. But in a split second, you had to have that poise. Now I could I could go give you a thousand other examples, but after a young coach trying to cut their teeth in this industry, and I was, you know everyone wants to be in the pros and everyone's trying to get there. That was probably that's a telling moment. You know, almost thirty years later, I can remember it. Poise. I, I, yeah, poise. And uh, man, that's part of poise is one of part of one of my mantras. But man, it brings me right back to when I was coaching football again um, and coaching really good uh, that program that I was working at. We went to state a couple of times, and I remember as a new coach, even though I played football for thirteen years, and I was like, I knew the game of football, but I was also playing fo- coaching football on the other side of the ball for the first time. So I was a quarterback my whole life. Now I'm coaching linebackers, a little bit different. So learning these dudes, it's kind of like, they, you know, they're young guys and they're trying to, they're, it's just like a, a young uh, kid. They okay. want to push the, the coach. And I have a problem with that. A sissy quarterback, decent linebackers. That doesn't make any sense. Right. <laughs> exactly. I have a problem with that right now. <laughs> <laughs> what are you nuts? Well, that doesn't work. <laughs> it, it, it gave me some range, right? It gave me some range. <laughs> well, uh, but it was it was great because the, one of the the sophomores, I remember he, you know, in the game of football and sports in general, there's that connection of slapping each other on the back, the butt. You know, there's just a lot of that that happens. And so when I had one of the players that a young player did so well in a in drill, like I was just like, whoa! And I went to him and I gave him a lot of praise. And as soon as I turned around, he slapped me on the butt. And so, that, I mean, there, there was a point where I saw red because I'm like, you don't do that shit at all. Like, even like when I grew up, if I did that to a coach back then, like, I probably wouldn't have been on the team. So, I remember when I turned around, I took that breath that saved me. And I said, hey, man, come here. And I said, let's, let's go to coach. And I went to the head coach. And the head coach is like, if you did that to the head coach. So, I went to that coach. My head, you know, this is what he just did. I go, so will you, will you do that to the head coach right now? We go slap his ass. And, and like the head coach looked at me and he goes, is that what you just did? And I, and then I said, I'll, I'll let you handle it. And I just went back to the drill, but there was so much poise, but I wanted to rip his head off. Cause you, I mean, to me, I felt a little bit violated as a coach and I felt like there's a respect, there's a line of respect. Right. So yeah, we get tested all the time. That's part of the nature, man. Yeah. And athletes, human beings, you know, that's just the way it goes. Right. Exactly. I just say, bring it. Come on, let's go. <laughs> bring it. So I'm going to test you too, young fella. I'm going to test you too. Go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, so when you think about your career, again, we're talking about range, man. You've got, you know, 30, 35 years of doing this. Have you worked with, you know, individually and teams at the NFL and MLB? And I can keep on going MLS, ATP, NHL, NCAA. And you've got all these like developmental programs that you've been working with over the years. You also got a background that's in psychology. So clinical psychology, sports psychology. So what came first was, did you feel like you were going to get into like the psychology field first and then, or was it more strength and conditioning? Like how, how'd that work? Probably when I first realized there was something to mind and body, honestly, <clears throat> I was, uh, I'm one of five kids and an older brother, older sister who were great, great students and they're older than us. Probably I was in the middle. So they were, my sister, Katie, seven years old, older than me, my brother, Dennis, six years. So then it was me. And then I had two little sisters and, uh, Friday in our school, Friday in our little school, grammar school. And at the time, I was the oldest one in the grammar school. I had two little sisters. At the time, Friday was spelling test day for the whole school. Every grade had their spelling test, right? Okay. So uh, my parents are on your academic. You handle your business academically. Long story short, Thursday night, to kind of in a fun way, pops would come home from work. 
and say, all right, after dinner, we're going to do it. You know, start to say, I got a surprise for you. We're going to go in the front room. And mom probably was tired. Maybe dinner got one hit the sack. Older brother and sister probably already away at college. He said, all right, we're going to do spelling baseball. All right, pop spelling baseball. Because yeah, you want to make sure we're ready for the test tomorrow, right? And we played spelling baseball. I had no idea what it was. But he, what he did, he know, and he'll get a kick out of this if you ever hear us and see this, is that he t- turned studying into a game. He used sports. We all love baseball. We're Giants fans in San Francisco, born and raised. You're a Giants fan for better or for worse, always. Uh, and then we played spelling baseball, right? You know, you, you get the word right at home plate. You go to first base, next quote. You know, if you every time you get it right, you get a base, you get it wrong. And he, made, he made up game. He was not for that. But he was quitting the mind and studying and sports and movements. Now, we weren't running and jumping, but you we were learning and moving. Wow. Now, you can tell how I talk. I can't sit there. I cannot sit. I mean, even when I go back when I was a kid, I'd lose my mind sitting. I couldn't sit for more than 10, 15 minutes. I just couldn't. And that's why I love martial arts. We learn by moving. Right. So that's probably the first time I said, hey, wait a minute. And that didn't hit me until years later. Um, then in grade, high school, at the end of my high school tenure, I got in some trouble. Self-made. I was just be young and foolish and stupid, you know. Yeah. And my parents had tried, and I just didn't listen. And I was doing my thing, stubborn. And I excelled at being a knucklehead. And I got rewarded by getting kicked out of school and had to go to work and got my GED. Went to work with my big brother. My parents are distraught. Like, what are we going to do with this kid? This kid, you know, driving his nuts. Big brother Dennis came along and said, I got him. He took me to my first martial arts class. I was 17 at the time. Now, I'm thinking martial arts, we're going to get down and start fighting. I said, great. I'm, I'm becoming an assassin. Awesome. It's great. Well, it was in San Francisco. It was a Tuesday night, late, late, you know, mid-spring. So it was sunny outside. So we want to be outside playing outside with the boys playing baseball. Because that was baseball season. You're outside until 830. And I'm in this old gym in San Francisco and Oak Street going, like 150, like all to me, like hippies going doing this slow movement, but this stuff called Tai Chi. Go, what, what is this crap? <laughs> and they, they taught differently. They taught by being, they taught by movement. And the older guy came and grabbed me from the back of the room, but still in the crowd. So it didn't take me away from the, the group. I was still part of the group. He started showing me the movements and explaining it to me. And then it hit me. Wow. And everyone was a calmness, a calmness. So then it hit me. I'm 17. I'm like a, you know, ramped up, rabid dog, going, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I walked out and going, this is some weird stuff, but something, I kind of liked it. It's weird, but I liked it. So probably at 17, I realized there's something to the mind and body connection. I didn't know what it was, but it was, it was something. And that's when I first realized at that point, yeah. that there's something. And that's kind of been, you know, I was, so after that, I sought out martial arts. I was in a car accident. My knee and back were trashed, you know, unfortunately, went out of my fault. So it got me off that track. It's always been a hindrance to my ability to really pursue it. But a few black belts later and almost 40 years in it, um, you know, I can't do it like I want to. But it was probably that year at 17 years old, walking into a big room of Tai Chi, not knowing where I am, all jacked up. And all of a sudden I walked out kind of calm. There's something to this. And it was never spoken then. It was never said, this is it. It's, it was it was how you were. And it was it was, it was communal. It was really trippy, man. But it, it was an amazing experience. Yeah. So, so that that was it. You know that that special moment. Um, I mean, there's there's so many of those in life that we all have experienced, and I know you have, and I have. And I know, like when I got introduced to Buddhism, there was uh, there was something about like as soon as I got introduced, I'm like, what? There's something special here. And when you deal with like you know flow and zone, when you experience that, man, there's something special. When you get to teach somebody how to connect the mind and body, there's something special, not only for the athlete, but for you, you can see, you can see that, you know, and you can feel that energy, but we talk about it all the time. Mind and body. We talk about, we hear it all the time, mind and body. And we've spent so many years, like 
I say old school about the physical. It's all about physical. Now we're realizing how important the mental is, but now we're like, Hey, don't forget the physical. Don't forget the body because the body's got to move too. So within your role, how do you like, how do you go about really like getting that mind and body connection? I mean, there, I know there's so many different ways to, to get the result, but like, what are some of the ways to get an athlete to connect that mind and body? And what's some of the things that you do to get them bought into that? I hate the word buy-in, so I won't use that buy-in. I know it's a, I know it's a well-intended term. Mm-hmm. And part of me, when I started my graduate studies in sports psychology, I had disdain for it because I'd come from martial arts class and we never talked about it, but we did it. And then they had these fancy terms and approaches and all that. So I always, even to this day, just, you know, I tried to even go get my pursuit, you know, hang up a shingle. It wasn't something I thought there was, I, I respected it, liked it, but also there's something artificial about it and natural. I just mentioned a, a school where I walked into a gym and I was breathing and being, I had no idea, but it, I did it. So when you ask that, you, we, I created a culture from the jump. From the jump, we always say, you know, you walk into wherever we're holding or working, no matter where, on Zoom, and we call it mad, I call it mad time. And I call my own company basically, it's very simple. Murray, after my tribute to my mom and dad, and all my family, you know, all the family names I could put on there, but Murray, athletic development. And I just, I wasn't trying to be fancy with the name, it's just pretty straightforward. That's really good. I didn't know what to call it. Right. So I didn't want to call it MAD, but that's the acronym that you get from it. So that's, you kind of roll with it, right? And stuck. And that's kind of, you create that culture. So the way we do it, the first thing we do, I met, I remember driving, driving home from a job many, many years ago. I'm in traffic on Highway 101, coming home, coming northbound up 101 from the San Jose area. I'm talking to Grant Betchart, who's one of my youngsters from yeah. Mission of San Francisco. And GB now is, you know, sports psychology god guru now. <laughs> god bless you. Yeah. <laughs> he called me and he's on the phone and I think it wasn't even it wasn't even a car phone then I probably was on my phone he's, he's all excited telling me all this and I was getting frustrated I said gee man you're I mean no disrespect you off you're off these different terms I said man keep it simple brother keep it simple just breathe and be if you just breathe just breathe man and be because the baddest martial arts ever came across I always talked about in combat you don't go you don't go against your combat you be with them you, your energy becomes with them at the time as a young martial artist I didn't get it but as I've grown up, I mentioned taught tissue and surfing. You don't battle the wave, you be with the water. And you don't battle communication, you be with it. So first thing we do always, we just breathe and be. And oftentimes people go, what are you talking about? I just, just breathe and be. We can do it on the Zoom. We can do it in a room. But that's to create the culture. Because we get that unified form of breathing, whether it's one, you know, one-on-one or, or a group. We're all breathing as one. And that's, that's how we start. And that's really, it's, you know... That's so, you know, tribes going into war, if you study them, or wolf packs, you know, there's a unification, you know, and probably when we talk about orcas when they hunt, or humpback whales when they, you know, they work in packs and work, they work in unison. Now, how can we work in unison if I'm not in unison, right? Right. So right. you bombard the body with all these terms and all these apps. No, man, just breathe and breathe. Just, just simple. Keep it simple. And then we can go from there. So that's how we, that's how I do it. Okay. That's awesome. Now, I want to talk about roles only because, because your background, not only your, you know, from your education, but also with martial arts, you, I mean, to me, you got best of both worlds. You know, you've got the mental side, you got the physical side. Um, don't know much about like the, the, you know, the diet side, how much you know, on the nutrition side, but when maybe this is just my, my education, when I was going through my grad program, it was all about your role. And I remember they talking about like, Hey, if you're going to do an internship for a football team, you really got to know your role because you played football for such a long time. You got to be careful of telling them the answers because you, you already know you played it for so long. So you need to 
you need to know your role in that moment and your role is mental performance. It's not strength and conditioning. It's not, it's not nutrition. It's not coaching football. So it's like knowing the role. So with you, you've got a blend of, of a few things that would actually impact the development of an athlete. So do you kind of, is it, do you look at your role as one thing or are you just like holistically, man, I got a lot of shit I can bring and make you better. So this is my role. Early on in my career, uh, it comes from a martial artist. The goal was in any situation, you need to become out alive and be safe. And one art I've studied for years, self-defense art, the role is that we want to be able to make sure that we prepare you that no matter what alleyway you were dropped in ever on this planet, no matter where on this planet you dropped in that alleyway, you're coming out alive. So for athletes, my bottom line is I want to prepare him or her to be their very best when it's time to you know, compete. Him or her at their very best, all right? So I did study nutrition. So I've studied all massage, physical therapy. So I did that to that point, right? So on, on a, on, when I was on a team role, it was hard because I'd see things that sometimes that weren't you know, optimal for the athlete. And the bottom line is what's best for, in my mind, for my role is best for the athlete. If I can help athletes and athletes get better and keep them safe and help them be their very best, that is my role. Gee, so you locked me, man. Do I, you still have me? No, I got you, man. We're good. You're screaming. Apologize. Okay. So that's my role. It all depends on the circumstances. There's pretty good evidence that now I have my own business and my own foundation. So if I, I was not good on the team, I was great on the team that was committed to being a champion and really get after it. But he had parties, you know, people, and he had different positions on there whose role was certain particular skill sets and responsibilities. Didn't live up to it. I didn't handle that well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I left it because uh, I saw too much behind that. And there's too much scum. I don't care what they say. I won't go into details, but I've right. seen a lot of it. Okay. Um, and always at the detriment to the athlete. I'm my own business because I'm done. That's why I work with the younger ones because I'm done with I just not doing it because if I can help an athlete, I am. And I'm, you know, it wasn't trying to maybe put myself on a pedestal. The bottom line in the team sport is what? Winning. <laughs> Winning. Right. Winning. I mean, we're here to win. Now, it's not life and death. You know, we talked about it earlier, but it's, we're here to win. Yeah. Even if you're a sport, if you're an athlete, you're here to compete, even individual athletes. I'm here, I'm here to win. How can I help you be your very best to win? If I'm on a great staff, I handle my role, but also it's a collaborative effort. They can help me. Man, I, I always went to team meetings. I didn't break down film, but I wanted to learn the vernacular. I got to learn what I got to learn the demands. I got to learn what they're doing. I'm not, not going to coach it, but vernacular continuity of care is imperative. So I, you know, when they meet with a doctor or, or, or PTs or trainers, I, I you know, involve them with me. I can, if I can learn more to help our athletes, that was bottom line. So I think the collaboration, you know, football is very traditional. You roll, roll, roll. Man, coach, our role is what? To win. I'm not going to teach them about the, you know, the drops or the reads, what have you. But, you know, the better I understand that, the better I can help their mind be at the very best and perform. Yeah, exactly. So I love it. I love it. Well, and with your career, I mean, again, you've all levels you've worked with. I know that you spent a fair amount of time with the Warriors as well. So back in the day, when you look at that type of athlete, when I say back in the day, when you started your career, you know, there was just different, there was different uh, protocols, different ways of coaching people. There was, it was just different. Right. So, and, and but yes. you also, because of that, that actually produced different athletes. So now I, I believe, and maybe you might push me back on this, but you know, we're a little more sensitive these days. And so there's a different, there's different protocols for coaches, which you can say, can't say water breaks, all these things, not saying good or bad, but just, there's just a different structure in place. So how different is that athlete from when you started to the type of athlete that you coach now? 
Well, our society's different, man. You know, it's way different. I mean, I just I talked to, I was at a family wedding this past weekend. It's the first family wedding since COVID. So this over two years, right? So it was kind of a euphoric moment, also a sad one because we've lost some family members since that point. So I'm talking mm-hmm. to one of my cousins, you know, my cousin's husband, so a cousin by marriage, an older cat, and he was raised by old school parents. And we're just saying, the world's changed. I mean, it's just I mean, how you communicate, how you, I mean, just different. So I, I, that's that's a question you can have. You could do a, you know, a whole series of podcasts on, you know, as you know, you could. To answer that question, the difference is that this crap right here, you know, this is a tool, right? Yeah. It's a tool. It's got like 100 years ago, someone invented, you know, a hammer. Everyone walks around with a hammer in their left hand because you don't know what you got to nail, right? And everyone walks around with this silly tool in their hand or is it, we're glued to it. So yeah. and that's kind of, that's, we, we, we've out-teched our humanness. That makes sense. We've third party our humanness. So sports is a human, is a human venture. It's a human interaction. It's human performance done by humans for humans, purely for humans. The animals, yeah. none of nature thinks it's all pretty folly, but we, they, you know, it's life, you quote unquote, life and death pressure. So, and the, our human society has changed. So right. it's, it's just, but we're still human. So I try to kind of get through that and get to the human. Because everyone loves to do that. Everyone loves to smile and be happy now, maybe certain ways. But our human physiology has not changed. It has not. Now we can have different names for it, different interpretations, but right. we have not. Changed. We've been on two feet for a few hundred years, 2,000 years right now, since we've been coming from all fours. Other than that, we haven't changed. So, right. you know, uh, I'm not trying to. Hopefully, it gives you an answer, but I try to retain humanness oh, yeah. and get back to being human. Oh, yeah. As much as I can. And, you know, um, for sure. That's imperative. And that's how, you know, I talked about culture and the mindset and breathing being. That's how we start with it. We just start with it and then we, then we get we get to it. I love it, man. Breathing being. I hear that all the time in the music with Graham. So it's, uh, he, he, I know that. He's been <laughs> preaching that a lot. And you know what? You make a great point. You actually did answer the question because. I would say, you know, in whole, if you were to break it down real quick, like what's the difference from my perspective, it's the difference is I'm not saying that we have a more like these athletes are distracted, but there are more distractions. And that is that thing you were holding in your hand in year 2000, our, our attention span was about 12 seconds or so. And then now it's like six seconds because we're constantly there's we're just in that microwave society. Now, there's so many things flying at us and there's so many more things judging us that an athlete can get more distracted. No I mean, it's, it. you know, no doubt about it. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I had a young coach recently who's, who's interning with us, a great young guy, coach. Um, and he, was, he brought up an example of a certain movement on Instagram. He says, you know, this, this particular person there, do what they're doing, look pretty contraindicated, you know, look pretty sexy for a picture, but like, that's pretty dangerous stuff. And it, 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 it's true applicability is limited because if you did that when you work for a team, you probably get fired. Because that's you know this Cirque du Soleil act with you know a basic movement, slow your roll, right? Right. But, you know, young coach and goes, well, this guy has like a hundred thousand followers. <laughs> that's the world. <laughs> that's- I hear this guy, oh, that makes it science. I, I know. Pardon me, I, I didn't tell me that. Yeah, but it, that's how they legitimize. Yeah. Right? right. So twenty years ago, that you're fired for even thinking of that, let alone attempting it. <laughs> right. So it's it, it definitely it definitely has. Wow. It definitely has. Totally. Totally. Well, man, there, there's so many, I mean, I, I could talk for another two hours uh, with you on different things and I'm going to definitely have you on the show again. Cause there's just so much more to, to, you know, to explore and discover, man. but I'm, I'm a big proponent on reflection. I feel like if we're going to try to get better at our craft, 
we got to spend just a few moments on a daily basis just to look what what went well, what do I need to address, right? How do I get better? Like, how do I just get that 1% better? So when you think about your whole career, uh, before we sign off here, think about like, what, what is that one thing that's, not even that one thing, what do you think has made you like, what do you, what have you learned the most about yourself throughout your whole career? I don't quit. The many times I want to believe me, but I don't quit. I readapt and I, you know, it's, it gets harder too. As you get older, it gets harder no matter how, what, you know, I'm not even 55 and that sounds like an old, old dude, but I don't feel that. I don't think that, but you say, good gracious, you old dude, but I don't feel that at all. And I'm just getting started, but you have to be resilient. It's always trying to be challenged. You have to be resilient. And I just go back to martial arts of being in the water ocean. I live right by the Pacific ocean and I was in there yesterday, last night. You just got to be with it. And you just be with it. And then you keep rolling and you just kind of, you know, and I'm lucky I come from an awesome family, yeah, you know, a bunch of crazy folks, but better for worse. I'm that's really lucky. I have an awesome wife and family. So I'm fortunate in that regard. I'm very, very lucky. And you can't lose the fact that I'm a, I'm a lucky cat even to keep breathing on this, on this planet. So don't take it for granted and just, but it's resiliency. Man. I'm not quitting. I love I'll it. I'll take man. my loss. I am not quitting. I love it. Resiliency, man. When I think about that, just about bending, man. Got to bend. Don't break. Got to bend. Now, again, martial arts, you say you either want to be the big oak tree or the bamboo, and that goes with it. You got to be, because that oak tree just don't get smashed. So yep. just, just totally. uh, yeah. So resilient. Any young people out there, man, don't let them don't take it out of you, man. You keep rolling, rocking and rolling, and stay resilient. Yep. And stay off the social media, man. It's way, way overrated, man. Yeah. <laughs> way exactly. overrated. Exactly. No soul in that crap. No soul, baby. No soul, man. And this is some blues and some jazz. Take a walk outside. You're going to be all right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So how do my listeners, how do they learn more about you? I know, sure. you know, we just talked about social media, but, but if anything, more, more or less, how do they learn more about Matt training? Sure. You know, appreciate it. So, uh, again, the company is Matt Murray Athletic Development. And we have our own foundation, which just started pre-COVID as a result. So the Mad Excellence Foundation. Uh, we're at madtraining.org, M-A-D, training.org. Uh, my, my tech guys have done a great job of setting that all up. So I can't take any, you know, blame more, more importantly, any credit for it, but that's the best way to contact us. You know, I've, I've got many friends and family in the game out there. So someone's going to know me for better or for worse and track me down, but we're based in San Francisco. Do a lot of work with youth in San Francisco. Um, I wanted to come home. I'm fourth generation San Franciscan to all us natives out there. That means a lot to us. So oh, yeah. did a lot of traveling pre-COVID, but right now with COVID being crazy, I've had to kind of slow my roll. Uh, and I want to come home. I want to give back a bit. So I'm home trying to give back here and build a foundation for youngsters here and, and then build mushroom from here. Cool. So I appreciate it, man. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, man. It's important to keep, keep talking. I know I can help you. My team can help you and your crew. Uh, you got us. Awesome, man. Well, likewise, man, it's just been a treat. Uh, and I, I, I'm serious. I'm going to have you back on the show. You got so much knowledge, and, uh, and I just thank you for sharing your your journey and your mindset and your energy. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you again to your listeners, man. Keep doing your thing and stay happy. Get outside and stay happy, man. Keep and stay resilient. Exactly. exactly. All right, man. All the best, you man. Appreciate awesome. it very much. All right, you got it. Awesome. Right